A new document from the Pentagon warns of, well, I don't want to say imminent, but we're moving closer to nuclear war with Russia and China, North Korea and Iran. And there's a lot of obvious reasons for it. We've talked quite a bit about this. 28 warplanes from China invading Taiwan's air defense zone. You've got Russia doing these military drills off the, the, the western, 300 miles west of Hawaii. And then we've also had many conversations about the fourth turning and Thucydides trap. Wondering if war is actually going to be coming here. But there are a lot of things we need to talk about to break down what's happening there and uh, why we kind of have a problem. You see, it seems like nationally we're more concerned with bickering about culture war issues than we are about paying attention to the food shortages that are affecting many different places in the country, the gasoline shortages in many local areas, the shortage of drivers. And I mean, well, that's 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 pretty big as well as our foreign policy. But uh, we, we get wrapped up in this stuff. And I think we're, you know, we're not necessarily innocent here on this show because we talk about stuff all the time. But we're going to get into these very serious issues. We're also going to talk about some serious domestic issues too. Major cities that seem to be falling apart. Oakland is apparently in a state of emergency or some kind of crisis, they called it, because it's just, it's just chaos. You get this video of these people storming in a flash mob and an Eman Marcus just stealing everything. So we're going to break down a lot of these topics, go through the news and talk about a lot of this. But um, we have a really great guest with us today. We have uh, a member of the Joe Biden administration, Darren Beatty. Great to be here. Yeah. So you're in the Biden administration, apparently. How's that going? It's going well so far. I'm privileged to serve in the capacity of a member of the Committee for the Preservation of American Heritage Abroad. So um, I uh, deliver the uh, the best wishes from the entire Biden team. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Joe, so. Joe couldn't make it. So. <laughs> You're actually one of Trump's speechwriters. I was. Former, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that, that's, that's when you're like, okay, so how should we introduce you? And you're like, actually, I'm in the Biden administration. <laughs> we all started busting out laughing. That's funny. Yeah. I wonder if like you went on any like left show, like Democrat podcast or whatever. They'd be like, oh, that's really great. Oh, like, yes. Wow. No. <laughs> it, it confused people on my Twitter bio. So I just took it out. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get it. No, but it's true though, right? Like, so, you know, technically it would be true. So, yeah. so are you there until the next election or what? Um, it's a, it's a three year rolling term. So Trump just yeah, like we'll see. tacked you on to this administration. <laughs> he did. Well, it's an important, it's actually an important role. And typically it should be a, um, bipartisan or at least nonpartisan role because it, it relates to preservation of special historical sites, including Holocaust sites and other, and other important sites. So it's not really a politically charged role. And so in that sense, you know, in theory, it shouldn't be a problem at all. Is that, is that national and internationally? Yes. I mean, does that include our statues? Oh, actually, um, that's a great question, and it could, it could, yeah. and it could include uh, statues abroad as well. Yeah, they're being desecrated. Yeah. You know, absolutely. No, it's a it's a horrible thing to see. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I we were having some conversation about what it was like to be a Trump speechwriter, but we'll get into this in, in, in the in the show. <laughs> we got Ian. Hang oh, on. hello, everyone. <laughs> Ian Crossland over here. Darren, you said so. You do these. Um, what was the name of the organization that we do with the genocide stuff? Uh, the Committee for the Preservation of American Heritage Abroad. Is it? Do you go to like different global genocide sites, like the Armenian genocide, the Jewish genocide, the Native American genocide, or is it focused on like one in particular or American? I only? think the I think the <clears throat> overwhelming focus is on World War II stuff, mm -hmm. just by the nature of how the commission itself was established. But it's not specific to uh, Holocaust. Um, there are other there are other sites that they preserve and things like that. Wow. So it's a, yeah, it's a good group, and also it was just a nice thing for Trump to do as kind of a parting, uh, yeah. 
parting gift. A little love Parting gift to you or to Biden? <laughs> Maybe both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. We got, uh, we got Lady President. I'm also in the corner pushing buttons. I'm very excited for tonight's conversation. We have never had a Trump <clears throat> speechwriter on the show before. This is going to be great. There's so many jokes to be made that, like, about <laughs> they Trump, write Trump speech. They yeah, do. I know. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, everybody. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com. Become a member, and you will get access to our exclusive members-only segments on the show. I'm actually not super sure I can scroll all the way down because one of the episodes we have would get us banned. Uh, yep, yep, can't show it, can't show it. Because uh, YouTube, this, one of the titles of the episodes is just like a bannable thing on YouTube. So we're not going to show it, but if you go to TimCast.com, scroll down, you'll see all these beautiful members-only podcasts. If you are a member, you can get access to these shows, and they're like half an hour to an hour long. Check it out. Support our work. We're hiring tons and tons of people. Man, we just hired like two more people. It's absolutely crazy how many people are joining this team. We got a bunch of new content on the way, new shows, new journalism. And I already, I've already gone through the new uh, alpha for the new site. Now, I actually think I might be able to use some of the articles in videos. Just it's not publicly available because you'll see like lorem ipsum, you know, dollar stuff. But there's actually articles existing in the alpha. I'm so excited for this new site. You guys are going to love it. It's revolutionary. We're going to change the game. So uh, make sure you become a member. But don't forget to like this video, subscribe to this channel, hit the notification bell, which apparently doesn't do anything anyway. But hey, tap it. Why not? And uh, share the show with your friends. The most important thing you can do to support our work is just help spread the word. Let's jump into this first story. And just we're going to start off light. So, you know, we're not going to. Just ease our way in with jokes about Trump and speeches and stuff. No, we're gonna we're gonna be very calm. And Pentagon document warns the world is moving closer to a <laughs> nuclear war mm. because Russia and China are developing new nuclear missiles, bombers, and submarines. You, are you familiar with the uh, the fourth turning, Darren? Yes. No, I'm uh, good friends with Steve, a previous guest, and that's a yeah, yeah topic yeah. of his as well. Um, right. So yes. So there are fears that the crisis scenario – so for those that aren't familiar with the fourth turning, there's like four seasons. The one we're in now is supposed to be the crisis, and it may be a domestic crisis. It may be international. But we've got the Pentagon, a report coming out right now saying the incre- there's increased potential for, regi- for increased potential for regional nuclear conflict with the country's main enemies, Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. There's another uh, big story that broke uh, just in this past week. That satellite research shows China building 119 nuclear missile silos. Now, this could be a strategy for what they call it's like a whack-a-mole strategy, where China, the U.S. did this in the 70s. They built a bunch of missile sites and then crossed their fingers, hoping that Russia would target the wrong ones. That may be what China's doing. But we also heard from China that Chinese state media said that if we want to investigate COVID, they want to just build more and more nukes and shivers down our spines. So... I don't want to be overly pessimistic, but uh, I don't know how do you yeah, how do you guys feel about building it? the potential for something doesn't mean that you're heading towards that thing. So, I don't like the way they phrase the title that we're headed towards. I mean, you know, it sounds like you know, arsenal building. Yeah, I mean, it, of course, <clears throat> there's there's certainly a, a threat there, but I interpret these sorts of things as the Pentagon basically asking for a bigger budget. Yeah, I was um, and that. you know, you have to interpret in the context of all this weird UFO stuff, which I think also fits into that category. And basically, uh, I think the Pentagon and the broader national security apparatus, with the end of the war on terror effectively, with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, they need to rely on two major grifts. And one of those grifts, I think, is a Cold War 2.0 with China, and this fits into that category. And the second grift, unfortunately, is the domestic war 
on us. <laughs> yeah, that's that's their next grip. And those are the two chief imprimaturs of the national security apparatus right now is this Cold War 2.0 with China and this domestic war on terror, which if by that effectively they mean the war on uh, 70 plus million people who are Trump supporters or Trump adjacent or just generally uh, fed up with our corrupt, dysfunctional, and possibly illegitimate ruling class. That, that, that's a really good point, actually. So if you think about what's going on in every every uh, world of the culture war, or like every faction, you've got people who are on the right concerned about China, very much so. And so, of course, they ham it up like, oh, oh, man, oh, war, war's coming. And I've talked about it quite a bit. Right. The only happens is you'll end up with Republicans being like, we need to make sure we have short up our defenses, bigger budgets for the yeah, war machine huge. to defend us. Yeah. Now, does, does the left care about going to war with China? No. No. Well. So for the most part. So what do they care about? The white supremacist terror threat. You need to give us more money to, to increase our increase our budgets because of these these evil Trump groups. Here's right. my favorite one is the hat trick, the UFOs. Now, what happens if they can't get the culture war left or right? The crackpots are scared of aliens. Tell everybody the aliens are out there. Give us more money. Right. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. I do think depends on what level of um, uh, how intricate we want to be. I think ultimately there is a connection between the kind of the quote unquote woke ideology that animates the domestic war on terror and our broader geopolitical aims and strategies. I think there's actually um, an underlying congruence there that really needs to be um, explored rather than just, oh, here's a bunch of woke stuff or culture war stuff that serves as a distraction or we just kind of tack it on to everything else. There is an element to that, but I think what's lost in that discussion is um, – really uh, the degree to which there is method to the madness and that the woke ideology itself is deeply integrated not only to our power structure domestically, but how we project power and affect our geopolitical aims overseas. Well, how, how does that work? Well, the short version for that is, uh, so at Revolver.News, uh, my news site, one of our first really big stories was um, exploring this concept called the color revolution and noting that uh, there was a color revolution basically being affected domestically in the lead up to the election. And this generated extreme controversy and everyone was apoplectic. I think part of the reason for that is that there, up until that point, there was all this talk about this kind of vague, amorphous deep state. Whereas the color revolution implicated a very specific faction of the deep state. And that specificity, I think, worried people. And just in a nutshell, a color revolution is basically you're not going in like Iraq, sending troops. You're not blowing stuff up. You're basically using mobilized mobs that are mobilized by... Uh, non-governmental organizations that you have in a target country and they're uh, ginned up by the media and various other uh, uh, organizations and they're mobilized on the basis of social causes. So in Eastern Europe, you see mobilization of women students to like go in the street and protest against whatever target authoritarian you have. And in other places, in China, for instance, you see the kind of color revolution technique being employed in terms of um, exacerbating or weaponizing existing ethnic cleavages. So you have uh, a lot of focus on, on the Uyghurs, for instance. Um, in Myanmar, you have the focus on the Rohingyas and so forth. And so this 
use of ethnic cleavages and this mobilized protest force that you see domestically, that's very much a part of this color revolution method of achieving our geopolitical aims abroad. And I think generally it's become a part of how the United States exercises its power. And overwhelmingly, its power is still its soft power, notwithstanding all those talks but, about nukes and so forth. So so you're saying it's happening here in the U.S. We, we, we've definitely talked about yeah. that, and we've gone over a lot of the beats on like what it is here in the U.S. But if, if it is happening here, who's who's doing it? Well, I mean, I don't think we can attribute it to any one person. I think it's it's an institutional phenomenon, and it exists across every single institution in the United States. And the latest um, really big story that I've tried to cover at, at Revolver.News is, and it's difficult for people on the right to really grasp, is that the national security apparatus, traditionally thought of as, okay, here's the last bastion of people who... I think their political psychology um, inclines them to want to venerate just and well-functioning institutions of authority, whereas I think people on the left like to critique unjust institutions of authority. So it's very difficult to get people on the right who want to venerate just institutions of authority to say, look, the entire national security apparatus, including the military itself at its highest levels, has become... Uh, corrupted and infected and really weaponized against you. And that's very difficult. It's a difficult process psychologically for people on the right to understand. But it's happened across the board institutionally. That's why I've been saying abolish the police. I mean, for a long time, I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, these, these cops are out here trying to stop these riots. Well, then the DAs did nothing. Let most of the rioters go. We can right. clearly see that even if the cop themselves, you know, and them are good people, they're funneling everyone into the same direction where the DAs then say, far left, go free, far left, go free. I conservative to prison with you, far left, go free. And so my view now is if you sit back while this machine is working, it's, 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 uh, uh the house always wins. If the, it's right. a 51% victory for the casino and a 49% chance for you, sure, you might win once or twice, but if you play in the, you play long enough, the house always wins. If that pressure is applied right now through these progressive DAs in these big cities, then over time, the, 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 the ultra woke individuals, the, the rioters, the anti the BLM, they're going to keep getting released and keep being emboldened. And anybody who opposes them is going to keep getting locked up or charged like we're seeing with the with January 6th. No, absolutely. There's definitely a lot of truth to that. And, you know, part of the reason for this is that, you know, the left or whatever you want to call it, really, the the ruling class um, has has been far more effective in uh, leveraging the infrastructure <clears throat> of power up to the DAs, you know, it's, this was something that George Soros identified a long time ago that we want to basically buy up all the DAs, and he understood the implications of that. So really, you know, there's a lot to unpack in there in terms of just understanding the infrastructure of power, which I think is a tremendous weak point on on the right, and you see yeah. that in the just profound asymmetry of power where, like, every single institution, including the military, is basically controlled by... Uh, controlled by the left or this new version of the left that we've seen. And basically the right has zero institutional power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you do with an ultra-woke military? They're, they're telling everybody to do these trainings. They're weeding out, quote-unquote, extremism. Right. I, I, we, we've talked to a lot of people on the show who, uh, or I should say there are many friends of the show, not necessarily on the show, who've said they gave up their careers in the military once they saw where things were going. 
right? Well, it's a it's a real question because you have broad swaths of the country who are inclined toward patriotism and defending the country, and the people who are more most patriotic patriotic toward this country are the people most hated by the dominant institutions of the country. So how long is that type of dissonance sustainable? I think it's a lot more sustainable than we would think just because people are good at deluding themselves. But it's it's not ultimately sustainable. So let's uh, we'll get a little pessimistic, I suppose, then. We had Steve Bannon, who was on the show recently, saying that we're going to win. We're going to win. Once the moms see what the schools are doing to their kids, it's over. And I think that's, that's, that's cause for optimism. I think I'm also optimistic mm-hmm. because I see the work that we're doing with, you know, TimCast.com, how we're growing and how we're, we're continue, continuing to reach more and more people, new people. I hear stories every day from people who are like, I had to, I saw what was happening and I freaked out. But then there are some people, uh, there's some high profile people who said we've already lost. The fight's already over. Mm-hmm. Cause you gotta, you gotta take a look at what's happening, right? These people are quitting the, their military careers. I don't know how many, but I've heard several, you know, anecdotes. And then you look at what they're saying about weeding out the far-right extremists, bringing, effectively bringing the war on terror home. It sounds like they've gained a foothold in our, our law enforcement and national security apparatus to the point where they can now point the weapons of that machine at anyone who would oppose them. And that, of course, is those who like waving the American flag, for instance, or right. want to celebrate the 4th of July. Once they gain enough power, and it seems like they're confident they have, they now say, okay, all 75 you know, million Trump supporters and anybody who supports them in any way, all the libertarians, you're fair game. We're coming after you now because we have the power. Right. Well, look, I, you know, Steve is an ultimate, ultimate fighter. One of the toughest guys I know, one of a true force of nature. I've been privileged to know a lot of remarkable people, and he's right up there at the top. And so for him to say, oh, we're going to lose, it's, it's inconceivable. And it's true. Defeatism. No, he said we're going to win. No, 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 no. That's that's what I'm saying. It's inconceivable for him to say we're going to lose because I think defeatism is a type of weakness and it is a disgusting attitude to have. Um, uh, But I think there's there's the other side to defeatism or what some call the black pill, and that is cope. And I think cope is also a form of defeatism and and it's just a very difficult thing to navigate because you don't want to be defeatist but also you don't want to be delusional you want to be sober enough so that you're able to accurately assess how deep the rot goes in order to give a real solution rather than a fake solution because there's a huge market out there i'm telling you there's so much money out there for sorry for fake Solutions. Yeah. There's so much money out there for solutions that sound kind of good. But ultimately, if a smart person who knows what it means to play for keeps really does an assessment of it, it's not going to cut it. It might sell some donor who says, oh, this is good. And he can tell his friends at, you know, whatever fundraiser. But it's so that's that's really what's difficult. And I think the bottleneck is really we have to start with the position of recognizing that um the uh the 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 right or any opposition to the wokeness generally understood it there's no institutional power there there's zero and that was part of the 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 problem with trump is that he had the support of the people or a lot of people 
But he had not a single one of the country's dominant institutions. And I think one of the lessons from that presidency was actually the limit of populism is that if you just have the people and you don't have any faction of the elite, elite is not monolithic. It has different factions. We can get into that. But if you don't have at least one faction of the elite, you're not really going to get anywhere. And the populism cashes out ultimately as... Um, grift. If if not actual grift, then functionally indistinguishable from interesting. Grift. Yeah, you 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 can you can only muster so many people to actually be involved in uh, in activism and politics because most people who voted for Trump probably just said eh, he's better than the other guy. Beep. Right, and also people on mass are are frankly easy to control in a mass in a mass media state. They're very easy to control and just very subtle things, very subtle changes. And if I could give an example from our recent reporting, so on one six. So up until recently the conversation of one six was dominated on uh, the people who were willing to oppose the establishment narrative. We're saying, oh, look, it's not such a big deal. Most of it were people just going into the building taking selfies. And then there was another component which said, oh, you know, there's some Antifa and whatnot. And there could be some, you know, there's certainly truth to the first and probably some truth to the second. But when my news outlet, Revolver.News, ran a piece making the case that there could have been federal foreknowledge and even incitement, the media went absolutely insane. It became one of the biggest stories in the country, if not the biggest story. And the intense reaction for that was just you recalibrate the narrative just a little bit to get over that one thing that they don't want you to talk about, and they go nuts. And I think that's one example, but there are many such cases, as they say, of you just tweak the narrative a little bit, and to be off course a little bit is also just ultimately benign and not effective. So that just goes to show how easy it is for the masses to be misled, given how uh, refined the narratives have to be and how easy it is to obfuscate these narratives. I agree. I, I, <clears throat> I agree with you. I want to pull up one of your tweets to talk about the demoralization mm-hmm. and the normalization of extremist rhetoric that's shifting the, the, the narratives and the opinions in this country. So you have, you have actually, there are two tweets from you. The first you said, step one, Feds did not infiltrate the very MAGA groups they blame for 1-6. Step two, yeah, they did, but it's not a big deal. Step three, it's a good thing, actually. And step four, people freaking out about it are the real problem. Right. You then quoted that and said the Tucker NSA story went from step one to step four in less than 24 hours. Now, I don't want to get completely into those stories. We will in a Mm -hmm. second. I want to bring this back to uh, this story. Black Lives Matter Utah chapter declares American flag a symbol of hatred. And the reason I brought up your tweets is that First, we saw it was it was Mara Gay on MSNBC saying that she was disturbed seeing these these American flags in the back of these trucks. What did everyone say? She didn't mean she was disturbed by the American flag. She was talking about the people who were flying it and that they were flying it, what they were saying about the country. And they had all of this like inference that wasn't there, all this context they make up. We're moving this direction. The first step is no, she didn't. Now they're saying, well, so what if they did? Now we're actually hearing Black Lives Matter Utah put out a Facebook post saying those who fly the American flag are racists. So where are we at? The embassies are flying Black Lives Matter flags. Right. You're seeing certain institutions flying pride flags equal to or even above or Black Lives Matter flags equal to or above. 
and we're, we're moving in this direction. In Evanston, Illinois, they canceled the 4th of July parade over COVID, but then had Pride and Juneteenth celebrations right. as if COVID was, was totally irrelevant. So you, in, in the previous segment, you were talking about color revolutions. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at that formula you give, step one, uh, and I'll, and I'll uh, you know, put it in, t- in the context of the American flag. No, they're not saying they don't like the American flag. No, they're not criticizing the American flag. Step two, okay, well, they did, but who cares? It's just Black Lives Matter Utah. It's not even a big organization. Soon, we're going to get to the point where they're like, actually, they're making a good point, aren't they? We'll see it on MSNBC. There'll be some controversy around it, and they'll say, but they make a good point. I mean, that flag was created by these racists. And then step four, they're going to be like, how could these people defend racism? That's where we'll end up. No, absolutely. And it's a sign. It's actually, I take this as a point of... You have to give credit to uh, the ruling ideology. They're always on the offensive. Right. They're always on the offensive. And this, this succession of steps simply illustrates that. It's that they get what they want from the first step and they move on. They're incredibly flexible and they end up getting what they want, even when they're proven wrong because the damage is already done. And we just have to kind of understand that, uh, recognize that, and if you know, to the extent possible, reverse, reverse engineer it. And, un- you know, understanding what power is, how, how it's wielded, where, it's, where it comes from, what its infrastructure is, that's something that needs to be just uh, on, on everyone's minds who in- who's interested in playing for keeps, which is a very rare quality these days. The pessimism in me comes from the fact that uh, people on the right have no organizational power. I mean, yes. like, like you mentioned, exactly, they, yeah. they control no major institutions. Right. It's all the left. Right. Now, there, there, there is a, a, a potential um, light at, at the end of that tunnel in that you don't want to be a frog boiling in a pot. Mm-hmm. But what happens if you throw boiling water at a frog? That frog is going to be like, yo, they just threw boiling water at me. It's going to jump out of the way. Because the right has been so weak in this. There is the potential that this shocks regular people, like throwing boiling water at a frog. Case in point, what, what Steve Bannon was saying, that mm-hmm. these mothers are now all of a sudden getting smacked in the face by this extremism from these schools, this, this critical race applied principles in schools, where, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you teach the kid little bits over the course of 10 years, there's nothing a parent could do to, to fight back against that. The kid has been indoctrinated. But they're coming in in, in in half a year, in one year, and telling the kids, your parents are liars, they're evil, mm-hmm. they're oppressors. And so now the mom says, what'd you learn in school? And the kid goes, you're evil. And they go, what? Right. Or with the Zoom classes. We have that story about the um, the lady who gets fired for, you know, explaining to kids how to take care of business on their own, if you know what I mean, pleasuring right. themselves, something the kids probably should not be exposed to. Uh, actually, I'm going to say this. Six-year-olds should not be exposed no. to that. You don't have an argument about high schoolers. That was another part of the uh, of the debate. Will YouTube censor you for saying that? No, 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 no. I mean, but we, we, we have to be very, very careful. So what people need to understand about all the censorship stuff is. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Do we just cede this ground and this ability to communicate just saying, the you know, just going full steam ahead? 
or do we try and you know use the networks to the best of our abilities to stay in the fight? It, I've been thinking a lot. It, uh, it depends. So uh, along with this metaphor, I'm thinking the culture war. If it's two armies lined up facing each other in battle, if you if you become demoralized and black pill, you're basically routing from the battle. You're giving up. You're turning and you're running in the middle of combat, and you're leaving your allies open to being flanked by the people that you should have been engaged with on the other side. Now they're going to go and, and flank your your friends. They're going to get destroyed. You're going to lose the battle. Alternately, there are times when you're realizing your your army is losing the battle and you need an organized retreat. That's different than a route. That's different than a black pill. And in, it, or, in cases like the education system, I think an organized retreat away from that system could be valuable. There have been so many prominent anti-establishment YouTubers who in the past several years just dropped to their knees and said there are five lights that it is particularly demoralizing to see because it is easier. I mean, look, man. You want to be an edgy YouTube channel. You want to get all those followers. Yeah, eight years ago. Now you've got the establishment machine saying be assimilated. Resistance is futile. And a bunch of these big channels went, you know what? It's just easier. Just right. easier. Well, I mean, the, the Internet that it, I don't need to tell you, the Internet that existed six years ago is not the Internet we have today. It is a totally different phenomenon. So... Um, yeah, and that's, uh, I think, a major shift in how we need to kind of strategize about how to how to get the message out, how to wield power, how to organize, is that there was this brief period where we had more or less uncensored Internet, and that proved to be simply too effective. <laughs> and so, really, you know, the I think one of the most important videos everyone should watch, Alan Bakari, I think it was on, it was on <coughs> this, this, uh, this show, and... He he released a video of the entire Google C-suite yeah. the day after the election, the entire C-suite just literally crying and saying, we will never let this happen again. Yep. And uh, I would like to talk about big tech because I do have some oh, some kind of different different takes on that I think might be interested, uh, interesting to your audience about what it actually is. So this is, uh, I guess, just... No, I'm not trying to be overly pessimistic. We try to keep a little bit of a balance because we've been very pessimistic in the past. But mm -hmm. hearing the Google higher ups, you know, they're crying, saying, don't worry. Right. I don't believe any of these people. And they're like, oh, we're being fair. No, they're not. We, right. we, we are absolutely in the resistance. And I wonder. I've said on this show before that this show is basic, basically a pressure release valve for, for the establishment. Like I mentioned with frogs boiling in a pot. Mm -hmm. If they nuke Steven Crowder and, and, and eliminate him off of YouTube completely, right. you're going to get millions of really angry people. I mean, he's getting, what, like 50 million views per month. That's right. millions of people who are going to be, like, very angry that they're being silenced or not heard or that they're, you know, they can't express themselves. And that could be like throwing boiling water at a frog. Right. So they keep channels like his on the ropes. They keep channels like mine around so that the frogs are boiling. People still listen to this. They still feel like there's some semblance of a chance when mm -hmm. in reality, every major institution is already under control. And if they wanted to, they could just snap their fingers and wipe us off the Internet. Right. And, and that's that's the two sides of the coin. There's the black pill and there's there's the cope. And uh, so are you are you saying you're there's, pessimistic there's the black pill, there's the cope. But there's that very thin edge of the coin of the hope. Uh, and and I think that's that's the the line that we need to skate on. But you have to be very creative, and you have to come. You have to think, you know, <sighs> realistically about things. You have to understand that now, the the chessboard is international. And I think one thing we need to understand is uh, the more 
um, consolidation ideologically that exists within the domestic sphere, um, the more we lose moral authority to exert our power geopolitically. And the stage is, is an international one. So the more the United States, or I call this new version of the United States, I've coined this term, the globalist American empire, uh, which has, you know, I think a convenient acronym. And uh, this is basically the globalist American empire. The more it consolidates ideologically in a domestic sense, the more it loses its prestige and its standing geopolitically. And this is what we were talking about off air about this concept of taboo arbitrage is that, you know, this is kind of why I take a more, I hate to use the word nuanced approach to China, but I think it's a good thing that there's a genuinely independent sphere of power that is separate from that of the globalist American empire that has is certainly authoritarian, but we're authoritarian. They're a different type of authoritarian. There are things you cannot say in China. It's not a free speech state, but they censor different things. And I think as long as there's a place in the world where you can say the things that I you know, won't say because you two will get mad, um, as long as there's a place that you could say that, perhaps in China, as long as there's a place here where you can criticize Xi, that's a good thing. Those different taboos can be arbitraged out. And I think this general, you know, we have to get very creative. I've caused a lot of controversy on another show. You mentioned Jack Murphy actually was on his show for saying, look, all this talk about, you know, big tech and everything. People need to understand they're focusing so much on big tech being private companies. In the ultimate sense, they're not private companies. They're big tech apparatus is an extension of our national security state in the ultimate sense that's just the reality yeah and and so at the end of the day they're not private companies in in the sense that actually matters and you see in china you know they don't they don't allow google they don't they don't allow these other things and frankly that's that's to their credit that's why they're still an independent society and so i suggested what if the chinese were to set up a server farm on their territory a bunch of servers and say we are. This is going to be free speech infrastructure for Americans who want to who want to talk about things relevant to their own countries. Okay, we we grant you. We're not going to let you talk about President Xi. We're not going to let you talk about the Uyghurs. But we're going to let you talk about all the things that are actually relevant to your country, to your leadership, to your corrupt and illegitimate ruling class that your big tech infrastructure won't allow. Would I that, think that would, would be a, that would be an absolute winning chess move. It would be good for the people in the United States who are disenfranchised, who are targeted by their own government. And frankly, it would also be a good move for China. I think it would be a win-win. TikTok. Well, that's an actually very interesting. That's a very interesting case because we know like this was TikTok was one of the basically the only big tech companies that the Trump administration went after. Now, I'm not, you know, necessarily a fan of TikTok. You know, I don't use it. Um, my general adi- you know, disposition toward it is negative. But TikTok compared to Google, Facebook, all these others, 
TikTok is far less of a threat in terms of censoring our free speech. And in fact, in some ways, they're competitors. And so to go after TikTok first rather than Google, I think is completely ineffectual. It was the wrong move and actually serves the interests of Facebook and Google insofar as TikTok is their competitor. And as far as censorship goes, TikTok is far less censorious than than Google or Facebook. And the censorship that actually does occur on TikTok is not coming from the Chinese. It's coming from their American people working in their trust and safety uh, 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 teams who are censoring not due to Chinese sensitivities, but due to the same old, you know, crap in in America. Is uh, Telegram what was is that is, is that Russian or uh, Telegram is uh, Russian? It's it's created, I believe, by a Russian national called Pavel Durov, but it has a complicated relationship with the Russian government. It's not. uh, And so Durov is a Russian national, I believe, but he's not living in Russia. And so it's not as though he's simply kowtowing, doing what Russia wants, although he does hand over data. But, you know, all tech companies, basically, all the major ones hand over data. So that's not to single him out. The challenge with, um, you know, if China were to set up the server farm, allowing people to say whatever they want. Right. You'll still get the uh, U.S. intelligence apparatus using sock puppet accounts to manipulate people. That's basically where one one person will operate fifty accounts to make to simulate public opinion. Oh, absolutely no! And th- this is why I think that's such an interesting exercise. I say it not half jokingly. There is a seriousness, but I think it's just such an interesting exercise because it's outside of the scope of what most people strategize and talk about when they think of the free speech problem. And it really goes to show, like what you're saying, your 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 response to that. It's in spirit extremely accurate, and it underscores what I was saying is that big tech is an extension of our national security state. And people need to understand that the bottleneck to free speech infrastructure is not that, oh, um, Mark Zuckerberg just just isn't, uh, you know, just isn't um, – liberal enough in terms of free speech or you know these individual people aren't aren't open enough to free speech they have to understand that if any robust free speech infrastructure were to be created in the united states at scale it would be targeted as a national security threat i that's what happened with tiktok and i think and they use the excuse that it's collecting data from american citizens which is empowering china right if china were to have server farms that say whatever you want to say yeah. They're going to collect yeah, all the, the data. Da- the data thing is ridiculous. Frankly, I would. Is it really such a big difference? Like, oh, you know, Google has all of my data, but heaven forbid the Chicoms have my data. As though Google is is you know so much so much better. Or you know, I would say I would rather have the Chinese government have all of my information than any American journalist. <laughs> and so pe- people at least just, they'll keep it a secret. People, yeah, people just don't have the, the the you know the proper perspective on these things, and and this is why it's like I I understand in a geopolitical sense China is a threat, but ultimately the the signaling power of being a China hawk has changed dramatically. A while ago, a couple of years ago, to say that China is the number one threat, the signaling value of that position is to say. Come on, guys. Do we really need war with Iran? China's the bigger. So it really had the effect of signaling that you weren't one of these nuts that was obsessed with war with Iran or an even bigger nut who wanted war with Russia. To say China's the big problem basically 
it has a first order meaning it has a second second order signaling meaning saying i'm not one of those russian nuts i'm not one of those iran nuts but now i think it's a it's it's taken on a very different type of significance and you see that in the fact that all of this these establishment um just just establishment filth people like nikki haley these neocon nut jobs they're just china hawks like every everyone else pompeo even people underestimate the extent to which the biden administration generally is china hawk and so um, the signaling power has really changed. And now I think a lot of the China Hawk stuff is simply a distraction, simply a distraction from the fact that the real enemies of the American people are not any foreign country like China. The real enemies of American people are the people who control America. Let's uh, let's let's get into what you just said about I'd rather have the Chinese government than a journalist with my information and who the real enemies are, because we got some we got some uh, uh, updates. We got the story from Fox News. Glenn Greenwald. The NSA had legal obligation to conceal Tucker Carlson's identity from intercepted communications. I love this. I love the story because it follows those steps like mm. you, you laid out. Right. First, they were like, Tucker's full of it. Nobody's spying on him. And they said, well, OK, you know, maybe, but not really. We're at the point now where it's, well, so OK, fine, but it's not a big deal. I mean, he was trying to talk to Putin. So, of course, they were they weren't spying on him. They're just spying on American journalists in general. Right. They no. unmasked yeah. Tucker Carlson. Yep. No, it's remarkable. And you I mean there I think there there's still probably important details that we don't yet know, we might never know, but just the story as it's out now is remarkable and I think it does represent a substantial escalation in our march toward this dystopian hell state because uh, yes, we know they're look they're surveilling our stuff. Yes, we know is you can you should expect that they're looking at, especially if you're uh, communicating with, you know, Russian officials and so forth. But the unmasking and the leaking and the political weaponization mm-hmm. of that is a remarkable step, and it could gesture toward what becomes the new norm, which is, uh, you know, just the logical extension of the fact that our national security state has become a political weapon. Right, and that's you know that's the whole I mean, this domestic is, this is, war on terror. It's 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 like the Soviet Union, right? Exactly, and um, and it's it is strange though that this is the thing because um, you've had journalists like Megyn Kelly interview Putin and otherwise. So it's like, well, she was probably spot it, on as well. Well, she, sure she was, um, but this idea that th- this is how they're going to embarrass Tucker, like I. I'm jealous of, of 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 Tucker if the most embarrassing thing about him is that he was seeking an interview with Putin and assuming like the NSA is looking at everything we're doing, you know, um uh Well there are, there are limits I suppose. Right, right. So um if if information leaked that Tucker Carlson was going to meet with Vladimir Putin, right. people would start to make assumptions about who may have been involved. Right. Perhaps the leak would have been substantially worse. So I'll put it this way. Let's say that the NSA is spying on Tucker to an extreme degree. Like, they know that he just went out and bought some flowers and chocolates for his wife, and they know what he, the note he submitted to the store, to, you know, he sent a note saying, please include it in the card when you send the flowers to my wife. I'm so sorry we fought last night. Please, let's never fight again. And then they're like, ooh, we got trouble at home. We can make right. him look like a bad husband. This, right. this leak is going to be a great smear. But when Tucker then says, the NSA is spying on me. Right. 
it puts them in a limited position. Because now if they come out and say, here the con- here, here's Tucker Carlson's web history, everyone's going to be like, whoa, the NSA is doing all that. Right. Now it's kind of like, hey, the NSA incidentally picked up one of his emails. Right. No, but if they actually yeah. were spying on him, this preemptive move from Tucker was brilliant. It stopped right. them from releasing the worst of the worst if they actually had it. Yeah. I mean, depending what the worst was. And, you know, they're in a position to do that. Ultimately, Google's in a position to do that. Just, to, you know, almost as much as the NSA itself. And the question is, that's an existential risk to the company if, you know, as bad as Google has been, if they release the contents of people's Gmails or Gchats or something for political purposes, that I think is a severe risk to the company, just in the economic sense, even in this environment. And so if they were to do that, they better make sure that it's a worthy target and the right time and so forth. And so, um, so yeah, I think the Tucker story is, is yet to maybe play out in full. But absolutely, I think it was the right move for him to go preemptive because the story at the present moment, I think, looks much worse for the NSA. So if they're looking to right. embarrass him with an interview with Putin, which isn't even embarrassing. Why wouldn't a major journalist of his stature be looking, trying to do an interview with Putin? Because maybe the story was something else. There you go. Maybe yeah. the story was Tucker Carlson, you know, uh, sent a lewd message to an intern or something. And they had communications, maybe, and Tucker's like, that was a text message I sent. But then when he says this, the NSA is, is now named. If it, if the story was hackers, how did we get the information? Must have been hackers. Must have been, you know, a, a breach. If Tucker didn't say anything, it could have been anyone. But he right. called it the NSA specifically, so it sounds like it was the NSA. And right. they were forced to hold back. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, this story's not even embarrassing. Right. Why would someone go to Tucker and say, hey, look, they're going to do this thing? Unless either Tucker is clean as a whistle and they're full of it and they're desperate or they got put on the spot, had to back down. Right. I think there are a number of possibilities. So it's it's an interesting story. We're working on incomplete information. But insofar as the story is the NSA is spying on journalists and they're willing to leak things for political purposes, that's absolutely – I don't think that's a controversial how, statement. How deep is it? Do they subpoena – Google to send them every voice because this is recording right now, waiting to hear its own name. The Google and the mm-hmm. Amazon machine is listening. Do they just have complete access to all of this data at all times? Basically, I mean anything that isn't encrypted, which is basically everything. Yeah, and, yes, and the, the stuff that's encrypted they have stored on in some you know warehouse in the Southwest. Um, and they're just waiting until they have the computing power to get it. Right. Even if it's 10 years from now, they've got a bunch of interesting stuff. They're just waiting for the computer power to get it. But, um, yeah. This, this, is, this is my, my warning to the average person. These Amazon devices, we've got one in the room. How does it know when its name is said? So the way these devices work is that an audio file of what you say is sent to a company that then transcodes the audio file into text which the computer can then read mm-hmm. and then may ask questions and things like that that means these devices have to be on and listening all the time it doesn't mean necessarily they're sending everything you say off to these companies but but it might be can. the case they have in the past in the past that's how you say in the terms of service for a lot of these services that everything you say is sent to a company to be transcribed and that means that your phones were always listening 
Right. But I think it would be absurd if it was constantly transmitting every word you said, full audio files. I mean, that would be a hefty data transmission you'd probably notice. Right. So early on, what a lot of the phones did was they would make you say the word three times to pattern, to get a pattern from your voice mm-hmm. so that when you could say something, as for these home networks, Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. You know what? We got an IT guy. We should probably track that and see if we're, if we're getting, you know, we'll, we'll try, we'll like shut off all the data except for these devices and see what they do when they're, you know, isolated. Dude, they're harvesting but everything. Perhaps. Everything. Data is so cheap these days. Quantum computing yep. has shifted the game. And, and it could be compressing. So it's hard, hard to track. But, uh, the other thing about Tucker Carlson too is, you know, when he mentioned the sixth, and you mentioned this as well, the, the mm-hmm. federal involvement. Yep. The potential federal involvement. I guess, is there, is there any evidence to back up that claim other than, informants or potential informants well i mean there's a tremendous evidence and um it depends how much time we want to spend on this because my news organization revolver.news we have two major pieces on this topic the first piece was the subject that was basically um the inspiration for the monologue the tucker's monologue which uh became the biggest story in the country and i went on and i uh, said my piece there as well um, so it depends in how much detail you want to go just to give the highlights for people listening who may not have, may not have heard this and are interested. I think one thing that generally, um, perks people's attention is just something that nobody thought to remark upon. And that is that just, we don't have to go all the way back to J. Edgar Hoover to detail, um, uh, the malfeasance of the FBI and other organizations. For one six, you just need to go back a couple months to this so-called Michigan kidnapping plot, right, the right. Michigan plot. And in a nutshell, what this was was this was a plot to kidnap the governor of Michigan, who was very draconian on on COVID policies. But that plot also involved many people don't know this. It also involved a plot to storm the Michigan state capitol. The so-called mastermind of this plot was a member of a militia group called Three Percenters, which is one of the three major militia groups imputed to 1-6. So you have the same plot, one of the same militia groups, and you have of the 18 plotters, we now know that at least five were either undercover agents or informants. Five out of 18 is a hell of a ratio. And just as a cherry on top, the head of the Detroit FBI field office who was in charge of this infiltration operation in Michigan. Just days after the plotters, so-called plotters, were arrested, FBI Director Ray promoted him to the D.C. field office when he, where he went on to oversee the 1-6 investigation. Now, I'm not suggesting that that logically means 1-6 means anything. I have my own argument about 1-6 that I can get into. But for people who have initial resistance just in terms of their sense that we don't do that. That's not the kind of thing we do. You don't need to go back to J. Edgar Hoover. You just need to go back a couple months prior to the so-called storm on the Capitol, and you see one of the same militia groups 
the same plot, one of the same FBI agents associated with both events, and a federal infiltration ratio of 5 out of 18. And you're telling me that you had this and you didn't and and the explanation for the uniquely poor security on one six is simply that this is an intelligence failure. Did you, did you see that video of the men wearing all black blackout gear breaking mm-hmm. into the Capitol? What's that all about? Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's a lot of video that's suspicious and even more suspicious. There's a lot of video that hasn't yet been released. Um, but we, uh, that the facts are trickling in. We now know that the DC police had an undercover agent in the morning of 1 6. And so, first of all, the DC police was sufficiently concerned to put an informant on the ground in 1 6, and yet they had uniquely poor security at the Capitol. That seems incongruent. And furthermore, it seems to beggar belief that the DC police would have an informant on the ground, an, actually an undercover agent on the ground, not an informant. And the FBI wouldn't have anyone. So, uh, but that isn't even the argument that we get to in the piece. It depends how interested you are, how interested you think your audience is in, in a, oh, a real know. breakdown. We, we, we know. Okay. So basically, the structure of the first piece, um, is as follows. It, it gives the Michigan kidnapping plot uh, to reinforce people's intuition. But then what it does is it looks at the charging documents related to the people actually indicted for major 1-6 related crimes, specifically people who belong to the major militia groups, which is the uh, priority of the prosecution. And it notes there's something really weird here. You have the, one of the original prosecutors named Michael Sherwin. He said unabashedly, we're going at this with a shock and awe standard of prosecution. That is the most severe standard imaginable. To give you a concrete sense of what that means, there's a guy called George Tanios who was at the Capitol. He was in the melee. He had bear spray on him. His friend came up to him and wanted to get the bear spray. He said, is it time? Should we, should we spray some cops? He said, no, no, not yet. For saying no, no, not yet. He's facing 60 years in prison. Wow. That's what that's what shock and awe means. And just incidentally, the whole reason the bear spray was a big deal is that after basically Revolver.News exposed that Officer Sicknick was not bludgeoned to death by a fire extinguisher, they shifted the narrative to, oh, he was killed by bear spray. We did a very then they shifted it again. Yeah, we did a very detailed comparative image analysis uh, at Revolver.News and said. Not only was he not killed by bear spray, he wasn't even sprayed by bear spray. And so that was the whole reason the bear spray was relevant to begin with. So his friend comes up to him and says, "Is it? I, I want to get the bear spray. He says, no, no, not yet. He's facing 60 years. What was Ashley Babbitt doing just before she got shot? Well, I mean, she was completely unarmed and uh, she did. But, but like the, 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 the most uh, um, granular view of what she was doing, we know she was in the building. Mm-hmm. What was she specifically doing in that moment just before being shot? Like what led up? Like, like what were the lead up moments to her getting shot? What was she doing? Well, she, it looked like she was trying to climb through the door. And that's like she was exactly, trying to climb through the she door. She basically climbed, climbed through the door. But let me just but finish. She like, she like reached through the window yeah, and was like she was pulling like her trying body to, through. She was trying to get through the door and she was shot. And granted, it's probably not a good idea to try to get through the door, but she was clearly unarmed and there was no warning. I think that was... Wasn't the door like solid material, though? How would you get through that? Uh, I think the window was broken. So she was trying to get through the window? Yeah. 
I believe so, based on the footage. Okay. I'm not an expert on the Ashley Babbitt thing, so I want to be. I want to stick with the things that I've spent many, yeah. many, many hours thinking about. The Ashley Babbitt thing, I think, is outrageous. I think it's wrong. I think we deserve to know what happened, but I'm not an expert in that. Yeah. Uh, the but just to finish the structure of the argument, the shock and awe standard that applies to Tanios, that's really severe. And so what the first Revolver News piece does is say, look, there's this incredibly severe standard applied to people like Tanios, and yet when we look at the charging documents of one six people who are indicted. We see a lot of people referenced in here who seem to have done just as much, if not more, than the people indicted who aren't indicted. And on that basis, we raise the possibility that it's very likely that in some of these cases, not all of these cases, in some of these cases, they are not being indicted as a result of a prior relationship with the federal government as an informant. What if or I told, undercover agent. What if I told you I had a lead on one of the names of, the, of those ind- individuals, their full names, and probably a lot of their history, too, their careers? Well, I think that would be interesting. And, I can't and, say anything yet, but well, I'm saying this right now on purpose because it's probably going to piss some people off. So hopefully they know. Well, that could be interesting because the second piece that we ran um, uh, basically focused on one individual called Stuart Rhodes, who's the head of the Oath Keepers militia, and— I'm not in a position to say definitively he was had some relation with the federal government, but I think it's clear that he's being protected from indictment mm-hmm. for some reason. And we go through very detailed history of, of this guy. And this isn't his first rodeo. He's been all the way back at Bundy Ranch. He injects himself into wow. these uh, things. And seemingly everyone around him gets indicted but him. And so there's there's an interesting history there. Um, a, lo- a lot of yeah. people have brought up Enrique Tarrio as well. Well, I mean, yes. Uh, because he gets conspicuously arrested right before anything goes down and, and kicked out of the city. Right. No, I mean— I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying any accusations. I'm saying this is part—you know, people are bringing this up. Well, what we know about him, and I encourage everyone, go <laughs> Revolver.News, read the piece on, on Rhodes, and um, it's, it's, I think, quite, quite interesting, quite persuasive. The, the case of Tarrio is interesting— we know for a fact that he was an informant previously. That doesn't mean that he was an informant at the time of 1-6 or he was an informant in relation to the events of 1-6. But we know, I believe it's been just simply reported by the, by the media, not contested, that he had a history of being an FBI informant. And as you point out, I think a lot of people don't understand this, is that he basically... Flew into uh, D.C., which is technically flying into Virginia. He had gun paraphernalia, I believe, magazines. He drove into D.C. You're the leader of the Proud Boys, and you drive into D.C. knowing you're just at. You're asking for trouble. He right. drives into D.C. after d- admitting guilt online that he was the one who committed the crime on the church. Right. You you, you drive into D.C. Cops are waiting for him. They get him. And a judge says you can't be anywhere near D.C. the day before January 6th. To me, that seems like a very convenient reason for him not to be in 1-6. So all of the Proud Boys underlings, they're hitting with this charges. But the leader, wow, that's very convenient. You, just, you just can't be around. Um, let me, I'll tell you a story. I'll help explain what, what, what might be happening. So during Occupy Wall Street. I'm heading down, uh, I remember it was a couple of weeks in, you know, so I, I was, uh, uh, stayed the night at some, some house in, in, uh, I think like, uh, 
somewhere in Brooklyn. I forgot what it's called. Redbrook or something. Anyway, I get off the train. I'm walking up and I see this guy from Occupy Wall Street. I recognize. And he's on the street corner and I see him and I go, oh, hey, dude, when all of a sudden a bunch of cops just pop out of a car, grab him and throw him in the car, which is very close, like right, right next to him. And he starts yelling like, oh, come on, man. What's going on, dude? They throw him in the car. I'm like, whoa, dude, just got arrested. So I briskly walk. You know, I'm not running or anything to the park, walk up to some of the activists. I'm like, dude, so-and-so, I'm not going to say his name, just got arrested. And they're like, yeah, we know. And I was like, you do? And they were like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows. And I was like, oh, like, did he, did he get a call or did he text you? And they're like, no, he just got arrested right here. And I was like, what do you mean he got arrested right here? They're like, yeah, like 15 minutes ago. And I was like, dude, 10 minutes ago, I saw him on a corner get arrested. So here's what I think happened. They didn't arrest him. They pulled to the park, arrest him to debrief him. He's an informant. They drive around, drop him off a few minutes later after saying, what's going on? What's the plan for the day? He says, they're going to march here. They're going to march here. I say, okay. They let him out right as I walk up and go, it's you. I know you because I was at the protest. Crap. Pull him back in. <laughs> Get him out of here. Because now somebody knows that I see. I had seen him. Nobody could explain how it was. And then immediately everybody went, he's a cop. No, absolutely. And I, I think just to get back to this Tario thing, really. So if if the Revolver.News, if the insinuation, if Stuart Rhodes, head of the Oath Keepers, is being protected as a result of a prior relationship with the federal government, possibly going back many years. And if it's the case that Tario was an informant in some capacity, I think the implications of that are quite profound because I do think the overwhelming majority of 1-6, people were around, they were basically led into the Capitol, it was basically benign. All of the remotely, quote-unquote, insurrection-y type stuff is really limited to these handful of people involved in these little militia groups. And even even like the, a lot of the people who are, were involved there... I wouldn't even say that they were doing it. But to the extent that there was any insurrection-y type stuff, it was extremely limited and it was associated with these militia-type groups. And so if it turns out that the heads of the two major groups were in some capacity working with the government, I don't think it's a stretch or an exaggeration at all to say that 1-6 in effect was orchestrated by the government or elements within the government. So the, the, a big component being that there were people who did serious or even worse things than many of those indicted who have not been indicted or even named, right? Well, who are referenced in the charging documents but not indicted. Like by name they're referenced? Well, they're referenced in the case of uh, Stuart Rhodes. He's referenced as person one, but we know that that's him and nobody How do you know it's him? that. Well, I mean, I don't – even he doesn't dispute that. It's very clear because they refer to person one as the leader of the oh, okay. Keepers. And, you know, it's – that part so isn't really a secret. There are, there are some people – what people need to understand about this stuff is it's, it's not like the movies. If somebody is an informant, they got friends. If somebody is an informant and they've got a significant other, it's impossible to keep all information wrapped up. So these people who are unnamed – who have, who have, have caused the, the questions to be raised that like, who are these individuals? I've, uh, uh, I got some leads. I'll put it that way. I'll keep it, I'll keep it very, very mild because it could be nothing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I've had some conversations and there are some really interesting things pertaining to the intelligence agency service prior military service that I've heard about some of the people who for some reason 
committed some, you know, were, were, were supposedly, again, these are leads. These are not like I've actually gone over any evidence. And I'm, I don't want to be very careful because it could literally just be people smack talking and not knowing anything. But it's like bar talk. Bar talk around the water cooler about what these people may have been involved in. And so I'm investigating it right now. I'm saying these things on purpose so that, you know, anybody who's listening probably knows. Right. Well, yeah, it's it's and this is a new narrative. And basically, this is the I'm very happy that this is the new narrative about one six is that what did the federal government do? What did they know? When did they know it? Were they involved in inciting this operation? Because they're certainly using the false narrative of it as a pretext to effectuate this domestic war on terror. The possibility that they could have incited it and that they had informants at the highest levels of these militia groups that they're blaming as the boogeyman. I think that's really remarkable. It's it's impossible to exaggerate the significance of that, given the significance that the government and media has attached to 1-6 as this new 9-11, which is ridiculous. Right, but, they call it 1-6. Right, exactly. And, you know, that's another thing that i got to say. It's this differential political psychology. Glenn Greenwald has been a big fan of my reporting and Revolver News' reporting. He's been a supporter and and he's been a consistent principled guy in terms of exposing the malfeasance and the um, uh, uh, just out of step, out of line behavior by the national security apparatus. And I think it comes more naturally. He's in some ways a, a, a person of the left, although I think it's a complicated term. But I do think it's important to emphasize this differential political psychology that the left is just much better at thinking about these things because I think they're animated by a political psychology of wanting to critique unjust institutions of power. I don't think they actually do that. I think in many cases they unwittingly exhibit themselves as instruments of those institutions, but they need to think of themselves as attacking those institutions, whereas people on the right, generally speaking, as a matter of their political psychology, want to think of themselves as venerating just institutions. So it's a much different type of challenge to bring the right up to speed on, look, this, this government that you're kind of disposed to venerate this military that you're disposed to venerate all these generals and so forth these people are prosecuting a war against you right it's a very difficult pill to swallow yeah is it a black pill um do you think do you think that i I don't like using the word the right necessarily because that doesn't really mean much it's it, it doesn't define anything you know what do you think when you think the right Anarcho-capitalists? Well, that doesn't define conservatives. Libertarians? Not conservatives either. Right. It's, it's, nebu- it's a nebulous term. So in terms of those who are opposing the fascistic, I say fascistic, not fascist, takeover in this country, it's, it's hurting cats. It's, it's, it's a, right. it, I mean, the, it's a right, the right effectively, functionally, is anyone who opposes the regime, opposes the globalist American empire. Because even people like Greenwald irrespective of the content of their ideology, all the nuances, it doesn't matter. The fact that they're challenging the regime, the globalist American empire, identifies them as the right Right. functionally where it matters. You saw the same thing with Assange and so forth. He was left, but then he exposed Hillary Clinton and he was on the right. And so I think even though these terms are complicated getting down to what they mean ultimately, um, just 
understanding what they are functionally in terms of our kind of political situation. Um, you know, Glenn Greenwald basically at this point is the right from the perspective of the regime because the right is a term that has been demonized. And if they want to demonize people, they just call them the right and they don't care about the niceties of what it actually means. It's the same thing, frankly, with the term white. And you see this going back to the white Hispanic, George Zimmerman. White is just a term of uh, disapprobation or even stronger than disapprobation. It's a a term of contempt. It's a term of hatred as it's used. Anything bad is white. And... um, and I think the term the term right functions in the same way. Same thing with racist. Doesn't matter what racist means. Just matters that here's a word that's had tens of billions of dollars charged up to give this word emotional valence, and we're going to use it against people we don't I, like. I, I love this. I got called a reactionary by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is right. hilarious. Um, reactionaries oppose the revolution. Uh, sure, I guess. Are reformers reactionary? No, I think reformers are reformers. Like, I've tweeted abolish the IRS, abolish the ATF, abolish the police. I'm like, I wouldn't consider that reactionary. Reactionary, of course, people that may not know the reference. It's a reference to the French Revolution, those who oppose the revolution. Right. So if they view someone who is even as, like, I don't want to say it's these are radical positions because, you know, they're relatively. Actually, no, it is kind of funny that people refer to me as milk toast, as sort of an inside joke, when I'm, like, straight up, like, yeah, get rid of the ATF, get rid of the IRS, like, very libertarian, right. uh, you know, uh, audit the Fed, perhaps even abolish the Fed. Actually, the Fed's really bad. And they're like, that's milk toast. Okay. Uh, all right. I think those are pretty strong positions, but right. certainly not reactionary. But they have to say that because they want regular people who don't pay attention, don't do any research to fear what we say here. Right. Reactionary sounds bad, although you would think they would do better than that because it's even a semi even though they I'm sure they use it improperly and not in its historical context. It's a fairly sophisticated word and it doesn't have the emotional charge that like racist does. And even racist they've largely abandoned. They've gone to white supremacists. So maybe <laughs> maybe maybe you've been like well, good enough that they can't really get you with white supremacists yet, although I would imagine you've been called that. Well someplace. this is funny. Uh I had the Daily Beast just call me alt right. And okay, I, there and you go. I, but I just yeah. DM the guy's like I'm second generation mixed race and he was like, Oh, and he took it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't call me that dude. Like that's the weirdest thing. The alt right. It's right. like, okay, yeah, let me remind my grandparents who fought for civil rights in, in Loving v. Virginia that they actually were all about white people. It's so right. absurd. Absolutely right. insane. So are we pessimistic? Are we optimistic? What are you saying? What are we doing? Well, I mean, I, I would say dispositionally we want to be optimistic because, as I was saying, to be demoralized is disgusting. And, but you, but you, we also don't want to be creatures of cope. Because I, as I say, I, I really do think cope is another form of pessimism. It's the other side to that coin. And cope sells. And that's why I think cope is very dangerous because cope sells because people don't want to imagine how bad things are. They mm-hmm. don't imagine, want to imagine how difficult the road ahead is. They're, they want an easy fix. They want to trust the plan. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, they just the want plan. to kind of sit back and think that, Okay, just by default, the good guys are going to win, but it, it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing. It's going to require extremely intelligent, strategic thinking. It's going to require balls, and it's going to require resources, and it's going to require understanding what it means to actually play for keeps, but what, which what, you don't see on the right anywhere. What, what's the end game? You know, what, what does defeat look like? 
Well, I think it looks a lot like what we see today. It's certainly in that trajectory. But what, 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 what is it? I mean, like, to be honest, it's, it's, it's been bad with the lockdowns for a lot of people. Their lives yep. have been destroyed. Their savings are destroyed. Prices are going up. You will own nothing and you will be happy. Is that defeat or is that incidental? Well, I certainly think that that looks like defeat. That's not a position you want to be in. If you want to know what defeat is, just go to the airport and engage in domestic travel. That that shows you what defeat looks like. I, I, want, to, I want to show you what defeat looks like because it's <laughs> going to put a shock to the system of the average person. This is the clip that you should uh, share with your friends and family. The New York Times did a profile on a, a, a controversial educator, Justine Ang Font, suddenly being pilloried by parents. A private school sex educator defends her methods. Oh, no. What was she doing? She was showing adult films to teenagers in high school to critically analyze gender and showing a video to six-year-olds on the nature of... Screw it. Masturbation. Mm-hmm. This is this, this is what defeat looks like when the New York Times sends a photographer out to take this photo. Look up at the sky. Look at this photo they took of her. Superman. Why was she being pilloried by parents? The story basically right. says that because of Zoom, because the classrooms are now being exposed, the parents saw what she was teaching their children, and they were shocked and angered. And so they reached out to journalists saying, what is going on in our schools? She was forced to resign. Before Zoom and the lockdowns, she was doing this for years. And other schools say it's totally normal and there's nothing wrong with her curriculum. Right. The New York Times sent a photographer out to do a profile piece on her where they defend everything she did. Teaching six-year-olds about... How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Self-gratification. Mixed feelings here. You want to talk about defeat? Talk about your kids? Where they, there's there's this video of a choir uh, singing, we're going to convert your children. Yeah, Have you seen that? I saw that. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. I mean, I, at first I thought they were just being sarcastic. Like yeah. they were like, ha conservatives, we're going to scare you. But right. no, like you actually listen to the lyrics. I was like, wow, that's, it's, it's straight serious. Right. We're going to convert your kids so that you are forced to support us to support them. And I'm like, you will become an ally. It was crazy, crazy. Well, yeah. Yep. Like once we have your kids, you will be forced to be an ally. That's what they're what saying. are they talking about? Converting them to what? To this this weird uh, this weird ideology? Is this literally like it's like a we want to convert what your looks kids? Like what does that mean? Is when convert. your child your child comes home and says, "I hate you, I hate you, I hate you," and you don't understand why? I saw this really sad story. It was a post on Reddit from a guy who said, "I sent my daughter to college, and she was a normal high school girl. When she came back, her head was shaven on the sides." dyed different colors. She had weird makeup on it. She told me I was evil and disgusting and she hated me. And I don't understand what happened. Right? That's the problem. And people think China is the bad guy. It's, right. <laughs> it's like that's but the thing. Could is, that be China? You know, um, I think China in many ways is just uh, unfortunate. I don't say this as admiring China. I say it as shame on us because we need to do better. Um, but again, it's recognizing reality is China does not subscribe to this nonsense. 
China in this respect is a very serious country, and I could absolutely see Americans in the very near future, if not now, who want their children to have a serious education, send them to the best universities in China that won't give them the woke <clears throat> shit. Because you know what? If China is smart, the professors at their best universities are going to be the people who would normally be the best professors in America, but who would get canceled by American academia. The people who want to study and say the things that you can't study and say in American academia. China, I think they should set up uh, tenured chairs at least five per major university and invite the most controversial but serious American scholars, give them chairs there. And it's, again, this is a win-win. This is a win for them in terms of PR, and it's a win for the serious American scholars who want to be able to study without getting canceled in a serious environment. Who gets banned on social media? It is typically conservatives. You say something like, learn to code, you're gone. Antifa can literally organize and tell people where to go to engage in violence, and they're totally safe. I mean, I love it. When I was on, when I was on Joe Rogan with Dorsey and Vijaya, uh, when I was like, here's a literal tweet inciting violence that you clearly have seen because tons of responses were removed, but you didn't respond, you didn't remove this one, and they're like, oh, about that. And they, and I think they only did it after the show. I I was like, I'm not going to tell you, they wanted me to give them the URL, I wasn't going to do it. But that's, that's who get banned. Right. They told me we have to protect people who are at risk of suicide. That's why they have specific rules protecting the trans community. What is China banning? You see the story about what China's banning? Well, China is banning the LGBTQ community. There you go. From The Guardian, outrage over shutdown based, of LGBTQ WeChat <laughs> accounts in China. Dozens of WeChat accounts have been blocked and deleted without warning. Hmm. Right. China knows the risks of of. of destroying the family no they know the risks of destroying the family and they know the risks of the globalist american empire poison that's why i say thank god that they've banned google and they have not subjected themselves to the so-called open society the open society means allowing western ngos in their country allowing western tech infrastructure to control the dissemination of information they've refused those things and for that reason and that reason alone they are a genuinely sovereign country. My position is really there are two and a half genuinely sovereign countries on this planet. There's the United States, the globalist American empire. There's China. And Russia gets a half because it's more complicated. Mm-hmm. There are only two and a half genuinely sovereign countries. And the reason China's up there is because it completely bans Western big tech infrastructure and bans Western NGOs. They know it. George Soros was trying to get it, uh, insinuate himself into China as far back as the 70s. They refused it. That, if it is, is the second they stop doing that, is the second that China uh, becomes effectively a part of the globalist American I mean, empire. They, but, but, but China sucks. China is authoritarian. They're awful. Right. They're, they're militant ethnostate. Yeah. Right. And, you know, they're they're awful. They're awful in a different way. And they're awful in a way that simply does not embrace the woke poison. I say that and we're we're kind of awful, too. And we're authoritarian, too. But they are just not they can be kind of maybe uh, robotic and automated in some ways. There is this sort of geopolitical autism that they exhibit. There's a lot that's unattractive about them. And in fact, 
you know, they have everything going for them but the fact that nobody is attracted to them as, as a country. And that is ultimately a problem if you want to have global supremacy. There's simply nothing attractive. They don't have anything resembling the kind of soft power that America dominates in or and even Russia to some extent has. There's just no cool factor, no attractive factor. That is an extreme limiting force. I don't think that is an insuperable problem. I think eventually they'll realize that and they'll just hire people probably from the West to um, to correct that. But um, but yeah, they, they suck. They're authoritarian. They're uninspiring. But they do not have drag queen story hour. They don't have drag queen story but they hour. they concentration camps. Well, for, for Uyghurs. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and... and, and Falun Gong shutting down of you know Apple Apple was it Apple Daily and what they're doing to Hong Kong right and but then that's another thing that I think is ridiculous is that we're simply in no position to criticize that and they themselves have said this I think with absolute justification how can we like we have a just uh, a phalanx of midwit conservative politicians, again, who love pointing their finger at China. I think China's bad. They're authoritarian. It's good to point a finger at them if you have it in the appropriate context. But pointing fingers at China and ignoring the fact that a sitting president of the United States was deplatformed from our own communications infrastructure and point to China as uh, censoring Apple Daily and saying they're the authoritarians no, is but still bad is completely like neither of it's good neither of it's good but we don't have the moral authority to criticize them it's just two different types of authoritarianism well the US government doesn't but we do sure as long as you're as long as you're pointing out both and i think what matters is the context because i think in the political discourse especially amongst politicians conservative politicians it's so much easier to point your finger at china one of uh well, a tweet i had a while back there was marsha blackburn who said oh i'm gonna score points i'm gonna show how tough i am against those chai comms here is uh winnie the pooh guess what in america we can tweet winnie the pooh whereas in china you can't because it's considered critical of she i said <laughs> oh that's great marsha now do george floyd right crickets it's the same. It's it's the same point. It's not that China is a free country. It's authoritarian, but in in spirit, it's a more serious version of authoritarianism. It's not this weird, grotesque, uh, drag queen authoritarianism that we've seen in the United States. And so they're both authoritarian. And this gets to this point of taboo arbitrage. I pointed out is that thank God there's not a singular authoritarian system. I like the fact that there are things that you can say in China and you can get away with saying that would get you absolutely destroyed in the United States. And I like that Chinese people can come to the United States and criticize their government. I think the fact that these different authoritarian systems have different taboos is something that can and should be arbitraged. And that might be one of the few silver linings going forward to carve out a space of genuinely free and open discourse. Think, Man, yeah. Think about like if I was president tomorrow and I really wanted to upend the deep state, like re repeal the CIA, like do what Kennedy wanted to do. Basically, you'd have to go to Russia to be safe. 
if you were in the United States, man, right. they just they know where you no, live. No, I mean that's the thing. Assange's mistake is he didn't go to Russia. Mm. Snowden did, and that's why Snowden is where he is, and why Assange is when he is. And it's like not that's an extension of what I was saying that there's only two and a half real sovereign countries on this planet. Yeah. What about India? Um, I think to some extent, but they don't have that deep autonomy in the sense that China does. What, what are they missing exactly? Because they have nukes. They have a huge population. What is? What are they missing? Is it infrastructure? Do they not have the farmland or something? Um, well, I think they're. I think it it gets to this open society idea. They they're they're um, far more integrated into the West in that sort of basic um, information infrastructure sense. They don't ban Google, and therefore um, uh, the the U.S. Uh, basically has information dominance from that point of view. So maybe because it was a British colony for so long, I mean, they, they've yeah, established I mean, like the, the secret infrastructure was already ready to go by the time now that they're independent. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a different history, too, that, that impacts that. But it's not to say, like, I'm I'm basically stipulating gradations of sovereignty in in a technical geopolitical sense yes they're sovereign but i'm saying ultimately what does sovereign mean sovereign if you're a sovereign country you should be able to house edward snowden and i don't think india could do that regardless of uh if china is sovereign i mean as bad as the u.s is it's much better than china i mean we've got we've got issues here that we're trying to work out we've got internal conflict the culture war and, and the domination by this new cult of this fringe moralless framework but china was welding people's doors shut during the outbreak they were instructing their citizens to buy up ppe from other countries to siphon it away while they were lying to the world to the world health organization they're uh you know Uyghur muslims the conflict with pakistan hong kong uh, taiwan i mean it's 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 brutal and it's awful yeah, there's a lot of bad things. I think there are a lot of bad things with us. Being an American, I'm far more concerned with our problems. And uh, again, I think it all of these things have to be understood contextually. Every country has problems. China's an authoritarian system. I think a lot of these things are uh, can be uh, e- exaggerated through our media to uh, f- feed into this Cold War 2.0 and also simply to, to distract because they want people pointing to China, pointing to the TICOMs, and they don't want people pointing fingers at the people who actually run our country. And I think, it, you know, I'm a huge fan you know, of, you know, it's it's great that the truth about, well... Um, Save it for the after party. After, yeah. Forget that. Sorry. <laughs> welcome to YouTube. Beep. Welcome to America. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. Aren't we glad we aren't in China where you can't just talk about things freely? Wow. That's right. That's resonating. We welcome can't. to America. Home, land of the free. Home of the brave. Home of the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> in China, you can't criticize Xi Jinping on YouTube. Here's a big list of everything you can't say. Hey, here's a photo of Tiananmen Square. Everybody was sharing those on Twitter and laughing about it. And there are things you cannot say on YouTube because they will just delete you. Exactly. Because big tech, big tech is an extension of our national security apparatus. Which is an authoritarian regime. Right. Very and, similar in and, many ways and to And that's Chinese why China is smart not to allow American tech infrastructure. I think they would be smart to say, look, we're not doing business with any American tech companies that censor their own citizens. Uh, is, yeah. Would you say that the the... the 
American security organization apparatus is is like a subsidiary of big tech or that big no. tech is a subsidiary of that? And is it only because of who has the guns right now? Um, it's I mean, these things can become complicated over time because ultimately institutions institutions can kind of become self-operating, but also they're people. And you see a revolving door effect within Google. You see the phenomenon of people like Jared Cohen, the founder of Jigsaw. He was a uh, key figure in uh, Hillary Clinton's State Department, in George Bush's State Department. He set up Jigsaw within Google, which is this powerful think tank within Google. And basically, they're tasked with developing AI capabilities to censor speech. And um, he, I think, personifies this example of this revolving door between the State Department and big tech to the point that is one the subsidiary of another. I think ultimately it it's more accurate to say that big tech is the subsidiary of the national security state, but it's actually an extension of. It's an extension of in the way that, say, um, you have all of these Intel cutouts who aren't formally part of the intelligence community but do their work. And you see that in these NGOs and organizations that combat so-called disinformation. That's a huge word you hear, and you have, you know, Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One of the, the few booming sectors of our economy now is like, quote unquote, disinformation journalists. And you have them working for these NGOs like the Atlantic Council that's joined at the hip with, you know, all of these like government associated uh, organizations that used to be that the government would just do this kind of stuff like Project Mockingbird and stuff like this. Um, but now they use these cutouts, these NGOs like the Atlantic Council, and there are a million of them like that. And they employ these journalists who attack disinformation, which is a term of art. It's an intelligence term. And they basically use that to um, envelop any narratives that counter regime agenda, they envelop those narratives into a national security context, saying these are disinformation. And that invites this national security imprimatur. Once it becomes a national security issue, that means it's no longer an issue for discussion. It's no longer a normal political debate within a deliberative democratic arena. It becomes, this is national security, therefore shut up. And that's the work that this vocabulary like disinformation is doing. And this is being done chiefly through intel cutouts, not formally part of the government. And I think you need to understand the big tech companies as much more robust um, versions of this this ecology. There's a, there's a group that was uh, uh, through, I think, Stanford and a few other NGOs, and they claimed that I was one of the biggest proponents of election disinformation on Twitter, mm-hmm. a super spreader. Huh. My there twi- you go. But, hey. my, but my Twitter is nonsensical garbage of like not even things that make sense. Like I tweeted a picture of a rabbit that had no hair. I constantly post in like Twitter is just a playground of trolling. I literally have tweeted like I'm just ish posting on Twitter because people take, take things too seriously. And so you either have a lie 
Tim Pool spreading disinformation because I post like memes and like weird trolley tweets about like Joe Biden. I, I tweeted once, Joe Biden is the greatest president. His <laughs> cognitive uh, abilities and mental fortitude are, are shining bastion or like, it's just yeah. trolley post nonsense. Or they, they're so dumb that they genuinely believe those things are true. And I can't imagine that because then they would call me a Biden supporter. Right. But they must know that my Twitter, which maybe their argument is, well, see, he was trolling. It is disinformation. Mm-hmm. Just like the Babylon Bee was misinformation. It had to be fact-checked. Right. I, th- I think, no, I totally, totally see your point. But just to sort of maybe devil's advocate a little bit or just to show what their perspective is, I think – from the Nash, their perspective, from the disinformation commissar's perspective, and I think this is accurate. There's no such thing as just trolling. Trolling, <laughs> trolling, trolling is supremely effective, and the force of um, memetics, just in terms of spreading information, and the the role of memes in um, in in mobilizing uh, people politically. These are things that the national security apparatus takes very seriously. And they take it seriously in the sense that they recognize its importance. But because they're so serious in a literal sense, they can't be effective and they can't actually meme effectively. So the very fact that these memes, insofar as they're effective, have a kind of lighthearted, ironic, ambiguous character, that's a key to their effectiveness. And it's something that the national security apparatus is extremely interested in and hasn't yet been able to emulate and but, so you but, see but, these but pathetic people it's not even about memes like i literally posted a, ra- a hairless rabbit eating cabbage or something like it, nonsense just yeah. it wasn't even it wasn't even political it was just like oh, i saw this funny picture i tweeted it i tweeted yeah. i'm a fr- I, i'm i'm scared the deer are going to eat my pawpaw yeah like my my twitter is nothing serious but it's not even overtly political trolling okay well then in that case then they're probably just going after you because in other contexts you engage in political stuff right but i do think it's important to understand the national security apparatus is very very interested in these meme wars and frankly if i were them i would be because the only war that actually matters is the information war and i've i had a conversation recently kind of a funny one about the moon landing and don't worry i'm not getting into moon conspiracies but i think there's a meta point that's important about the moon conspiracies and that is um even if the this whole conspiracy that, oh, uh, we didn't actually get to the moon, it was all manufactured, even if that isn't true, um, it is kind of spiritually true in the sense that there there's a deeper truth in it, even if it's false. And that truth is that uh, Amer- the, the true source of America's power is not its scientific or engineering prowess or its nuclear weapons. It's its control of information distribution. It's its supremacy over propaganda and mass psychology. And so my take on the the moon stuff, not that I take the conspiracy seriously, but I think it's a good vehicle to explore actual, you know, kind of important points, is that it's actually more remarkable of an achievement if it is fake because that exhibits our dominance in the psychological arena. Well, and that's actually more <clears throat> impressive and more aligned with the true nature of America's power than the scientific achievement of putting people on, on the moon, which was what happened in reality. 
Right, right, right. Let's go to Super Chats. Yes. If you haven't already, smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, and go to TimCast.com where we're going. I don't, I, I, I don't know what you were going to say, but whatever it was, we'll talk about it over at <laughs> TimCast.com. And uh, again, hit the like button, subscribe, share the video. Let's read. We got Baxter. It says, hi, Tim and group. Why don't conservatives make the argument that big tech isn't adhering to Section 230? There's plenty of reasons they're breaking the law, as is. Either you are a platform or a publisher, and they're acting like publishers, simple as. Platform versus publisher has literally nothing to do with Section 230. That is something I guess some conservative made up at some point because he didn't understand the law. It's that simple. Section 230 says, uh, what is it? Digi- online digital services are exempt from, are, are not to be held liable for the speech of users, and they are entitled to moderate without being ha- having that held against them. Right. Has nothing to do with publisher or platform. Completely meaningless. Quick point about 230, if I if I may. And 230, like antitrust and everything else, people need to understand that these are um, tools of leverage. So the threat to use antitrust to destroy Google or whatever, or the threat to use 230 to destroy um, any uh, tech platform, these are tools of leverage which work both ways. And the fact that the other side has all the institutional power, maybe it was one thing under the Trump presidency when it looked like he might move forward on it in a, in a competent way. But actually, people are most scared of the antitrust stuff, not the 230 stuff, but the antitrust stuff coming from Elizabeth Warren. That's what actually freaked out the tech companies, because you have to have you have a threat that's backed by institutional power. And so there's like it. These things are neutral leverage tools and they're only, you know, uh, meaningful insofar as there's institutional power backing it up. And the left could use it just as easily to threaten that we're going to use these tools against you if you don't censor more. No. So uh, I think we need to use all the tools available to us to go after big tech. But I do think what's it's it's a it's a it's an important point that's lost in this conversation is this is not like specific to a free speech agenda. These are leverage tools that can be used by anyone. And um, and big tech was far more afraid of Elizabeth Warren than anybody on the right and probably for good reason. All right. We got Christian Jim Gochi and he says, Tim, you say people are weak, but you have to realize that public schools made them that way. In school, you get punished for defending yourself. I mean, come on, what else was going to happen? I don't think the schools made them weak. I think their parents made them weak. Uh, I had parents who weren't weak. So when I went to school, I was a, a smart aleck, to put it mildly. <laughs> Teachers would say something, and I'd be like, no, shut up. What are you going to do about it? What, what, no, seriously, what are you going to do about it? What, 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 I don't understand this, this, this mentality among people where they're like, I'll get in trouble. What does that mean? Like, what are you afraid of? I don't understand. I genuinely do not understand. Are they going to, is your teacher going to punch you in the face? No. Okay. Are they going to tie, are they going to hog tie you and leave you on the floor? No. Are they going to take your lunch? No. They're going to say mean words to you? I don't care. Well, they would tell my parents and then my parents would strip me of privileges and I'd have to sit in my room alone with no television. Why? That would be my punishment. But why, why do you, for disobeying authority. So what would happen if you left your room? I would then lose more privileges. And then what, 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 what does that mean? I would have no social life. I'd have to well, sit in my room. I'd get well, hold on. No, we've already, we've, we've, we've already, we've already concluded. Or I'd you be could... thrown out of the house. Okay. At the so age you... of 16, 15. Congratulations. So leave. I don't want to leave. That's the point. Yes. See, that's, that's it. That's incredibly weakness. valuable upbringing that I was utilizing. See, when I was 14, I was absolutely willing to go sleep, sleep in the alley. 
I was like, I don't care. I'll do what I want. I was like, I'm strong enough and confident enough in myself that if you tell me I can't go out, I can go out anyway. And then what happens? I always tell, I, always, I tell this to my friend when I was like 14. I was like, you want to go skate? I can't. I'm grounded. What does that mean? It means I can't go outside. And I was like, what happens if you go outside? I'll get grounded even longer. No, no, we've already established you can physically go outside in this case. What does grounding you do if you can defy it? Well, my parents will just keep grounding me. Okay, we've established that when they ground you, nothing happens. You can still go outside. So what are you arguing? That was me when I was a little kid. Now, by all means, I certainly respect good parents and think kids should honor and, and, and obey their parents. My point is more people are just more attached to the comfort and the luxury than the reality. That's Life the American way right now, it seems like. It is. It, you, the, the American way used to be I'm going to land this boat on a rock and then walk out into the woods and then cross my fingers. I mean, great, granted, these people were hard workers. They were looking for freedom and they're willing to take that risk. Nobody's willing to take that risk anymore. Right. When there's another kind of related point, though, is that, you know, the the whole trope that, you know, people are more scared of being naked in front of an audience or being embarrassed in front of an audience than um, than death. And that shows that in many people, a social death is more terrifying than a physical death yeah. right and that's why we're in this position where we'd rather literally have our entire country destroyed and the dreams of our posterity shattered rather than being called racist mm. that's, yeah, that's the underlying <clears throat> meaning to that and it's related to the fact that people are more terrified of being quote-unquote naked in in public or being shamed in public um, than physical death. We'd rather give up our entire country, our history, and our future than being called racist. And it's a contemptible thing, but it is a feature of, of human nature that's leveraged um, by our corrupt ruling class. Yeah, once you get <laughs> naked in public, that's not what I mean, but once you like psychologically you know, bear yourself, it's very freeing. I hope more people start doing that. It's, it's actually very easy and very freeing. All right. Kyle Miller says, Tim, what are you going to do when the collectivists come to your house, take your chickens and redistribute them? How dare they? You're assuming they will get to my house. You are assuming they will get to my chickens. They will not. And you are assuming they will be able to redistribute them. <laughs> Let me just say, when the collectivists come to my house, I have a right to self-defense if they're trying to attack my property. Now, within reason, of course, stealing chickens is not a death-worthy trespass. But we do have legal means of protecting the property that don't involve you know, serious physical harm. And I think we'll be okay. But let's just say they breach the perimeter and they're running. I will release those chickens into the wild before I let people steal them. Yeah. Maybe they'll survive. They got a rooster. He's tough. Yeah, he's loud. Protecting. He won't shut up. No, he I heard not. him. Wow, he won't <laughs> shut up. Now, I've seen, I've seen roosters and they, I, I had a rooster before crow a couple times a day. This guy crows literally for like 20 minutes straight. He's and young. I'm like, dude's gonna cough up a lung or something. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that'll, that, that, that'll happen. So. All right. Daniel Morales says, I would like to dedicate this super chat to a guildy on WoW who passed away this week. She was only 28. I didn't know her very long, but there were those who knew her for years. May the light be with you, eerie always. Internet video games bringing us together. That's right, man. I hung out with more Chinese people playing World of Warcraft than anywhere else. <laughs> All right. Wolfgang Teideberg says, love the show. One, is there a password change on your website? I'm a $10 member and appreciate what you do. And two, I mailed a letter to you on Sunday with a resume 
with it, you are all awesome. There is. If you just try and log in on the website, there's a simple, you know, password reset function like any other website. Track media only says power unused isn't power. Republicans had the power, but never used it nor secured it. Then add many didn't so much uh, fight back as kept saying, if you cross this line and kept moving the line back every time they crossed mm-hmm. it. Then add many. I'm not sure what you, you meant by that. Right. Power is energy transfer. It's like the, the amount of energy transferred within a certain amount of time. So if you're not using the energy, if you're not transferring the energy, then it's just a potential energy storage and there is no power. So that's a good point. Power unused is not power. Mm-hmm. Jackal says, $10 member here. Are y'all going to have a gaming tech news on your website? Upper Echelon Gamers on YouTube does a really does really good work exposing the underbelly of gaming and would be a great guest. Yes, we are. We're actually developing a video game. It looks very, very fun we and are. cool, and I posted a little uh, video of it. So it's uh, uh, effectively a Freedom Tunes video game because the Freedom Tunes does, is the art style that we're using. And so, yes. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a fun game. I'm not going to say too much about it, but it's been in the works for quite some time, and we will have our very own video game. Whoa, this is crazy. Thinking Out Loud says Callie is shaking while watching you multiple earthquakes this afternoon and most recently a 5.9 near the CA Nevada border. Is it time for what the the San Andreas fault to finally go? Finally do its job and kick California off into the ocean. It'll just break off and then go and then be its own country. (laughs) I think they're saying it's going to slide down. So it'll be like off the west coast of Mexico one day. I think that's what it is down, not up. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yeah, great. Good for them. But that's if if tectonic plates are real, which I don't know if they are. Okay, yeah. Oh, okay. Theory, theory, theory. I'm pretty sure they're real. All right. Let's see what we got here. Fubadoo says, love your work, Darren. Thanks for doing what you do. Tell Tim to get Adam Townsend on to talk would be a great conversation, I think. Townsend. Agree. Great guy. All right. Peter Watkins says, talking about China, for some reason I can't post the symbols for Communist Bandit and 50 Cent Party in the chat again. Is that a thing? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Don't I, I remember when that happened and people were laughing about it. Communist Bandit? Hmm. Okay. Let's see what we got. Jesse Kime Kime says, Tim, a YouTuber called Tech Hut recently put out a video about a custom phone firmware called Load. They basically turn trackers off, but you can see track requests. In two weeks of use, he had 67,000. Doesn't Brave do that? The Brave know. browser shows you all yeah. of the attempts at tracking you and like just piles them up and there's like mm-hmm. millions of them. Whoa. Yeah. Nevitz says, hey, Tim, I had wrote you a while back about if you would be consider publishing graphic novels. I've been writing one for a while and would love to see if you'd be interested in it. Yes. Um, I don't know if we're at the position where we can ac- actually accept pitches for graphic novels for the most part, though. So we got a lot on our plate, but we want to get, get to that point where we absolutely will be publishing graphic novels and just have all kinds of media and have a lot of fun. All right. Christopher Knowles says, bioweapons and AI are the new nukes. The power of nukes rests in the threat of use only. USSR wanted to save Cuba and capitalize on the PR. What PR is China gaining? From the th- what PR is China gaining from the threat of using its nukes? What is the U.S. gaining in PR for threatening with nuke retaliation? More money, fear among their populations. BlackRock Beacon says everyone assumes that big tech censored footage from January 6th so they could gaslight us about how bad it was. Probably true, but very likely also to keep the identity state actors hidden. The internet is too good at finding people. Oh yeah, yeah, very, they, they will they true. will find everybody. Very true. 
Okay, let's see. We got. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll scroll down. Let's find some. Uh, a lot of things. I lots of chats I can't say. You know, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Too spicy. Thank you guys. Okay. Fuzzy Cotton Ball says crap is being taught by racial equity teachers against real data and statistics. That's critical race applied principles. Crap is being taught by. Okay, uh, I'm not going to say yep, that. Can't read that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to uh, communist YouTube. Yeah, where you can't speak though. out and you can't say things. That's pretty clever. Nathan O'Connell says defeat to me looks like Mao's culture revolution, cult- cultural revolution. Mm. Yep. There's different ways you can be defeated. One is by being captured and enslaved. One is by being murdered. One is by winning and then installing a, a worse government yourself. So, Zachary Bendixson says, remember when Kellyanne Conway quit as Trump White House advisor for her family after daughter Claudia pushed for emancipation because she hated her mom like you guys were talking about? Mm. Yep. Yeah. They, she's got a bad dad. That guy's awful. Uh, you know, I think he's that a bad, family. bad guy. Who, who's that? Uh, uh, Kellyanne Conway, uh, yeah. Claudia Conway's dad, oh. George. Just an awful, Terrible. all around. Okay, so let's see, we got it. We got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of stuff about, uh, uh, Gina. 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 <laughs> uh, positive. Oh, it just jumped on us. No, yeah. the super jump. The super jump. Oh. Yep. And I gotta try and figure out where we are again. Alright. So a lot of people, there's just a bunch of comments. They're saying you're a Chicom simp. Well, um, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. The plague doctor says I'm old, about 65% to 70% dead. I've never looked up to anyone or had a hero until I found your channel. Now all of you are my heroes. Keep up the good work. Hey, man, really appreciate it. That's, that's, a, rock and roll. that's an honor. Laura says Ian is giving serious Austin Powers vibes. Yeah, baby. That's yeah. That's right, baby. Hey. Hey. Oh, no. Potato Masher says, in the realistic standpoint, CCP is the enemy. Straightforward is that. Is basically this guy's statement. We also, we also will need to confront the problem of tyranny occurring at home before we confront the CCP. If the country and its people choose to do so. Perhaps that is true. That sounds like a fair analysis. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Yuri Bezmanov says, please watch or rewatch Yuri Bezmanov. XKGB, he explains everything. Binge it. Also, it could be China. It also could just be us. I think uh, one of the memes of the show is that we we get super <laughs> chat, multiple super chats every single day for the past year of, have you guys watched Yuri Bezmanov's video yet? And it's like, yes, we have. Probably yeah, yep, they recommended it yep. um, a couple times a night. So we're looking at several hundred recommendations, plus all the emails we get. Yeah. Maybe about a thousand emails telling us to watch it. Mm-hmm. It's weird to me. I, I want to be completely honest, and, and I mean no disrespect to the people who are sending things in, but... It's weird that people would assume we didn't know about that. I don't think we've ever really talked about it. We've on the talked show. about it a ton. It was cool Yuri Bezov was a Russian KGB, ex KGB, and he came out and did a like an hour long interview, just basically explaining the long war, talking about demoralization and how it's like a twenty year process or something. Yeah, yep. And that it got started in two thousand one or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't we're long, far along in the process. Let's see. Yep. 
Pigpin says, stock up on MREs and ammo if you have weapons, people. MREs don't last that long. I'm not a fan. I mean, they're, they're, they're great because you can just crack them open. It's got the, what, it's got like the iron oxide powder or like the iron. No, I'm sorry. It's got the iron powder. And then you pour the water in, you get iron oxide, it heats up and it cooks your food or sort of it warms your food. But they don't, they only last a couple of years. You want to get those food bins that last 30 years, unless you're going to be traveling for a couple of years. Right. If you're getting wet and they're lightweight, yeah. MREs are lightweight. Mm. Mason Wolfie says, would like to hear your thoughts on the encroachment of SJW and woke ideology in the entertainment sphere, like D&D, video games, and TV shows. Also, Gen Con banned Gary Gygax's son. Uh, isn't D&D getting rid of races? Oh, man. I, I, they're getting rid of the bonuses that races would have given you. So, like, being a, a half-orc, <laughs> you would have plus to your strength. <laughs> being a dwarf, you have a stronger constitution. But now they're just all equal. Like, you mm. can have a really intelligent half-orc. A really brawny elf. It just doesn't make sense. So, like, to me. dwarves can be six foot five archers now and like thin. You know Scot- they can, Tim. You know they with, can. Like, big Scottish beards. <laughs> six five? I don't know. I don't know because that maybe would make you run faster. Which dwarves are, are slower because they're no, shorter. No, no, no. They got rid of those. Yeah, they're basically they're getting rid of the the versatility or the diversity of of race, which yeah. is like racist in and of itself. It's very. I odd. went to uh, Thailand, and I was at Chinese New Year celebration, and I could see over everyone's head. <laughs> Like I, 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 I myself am part Asian. I don't think it's racist to point out that I have, I am slightly taller because the average height in these countries is lower. Sometimes reality bypasses racism. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love discussing the genetic differences of humans and whatever races or, or species or whatever we are. All right, let's see. Commander 232 says, as someone who served in the army during the Obama administration, I have no faith in the heads at the Pentagon. I say this with a heavy heart because it's what I fought to prevent. But these fools need to realize that if they continue to push at the current rate, there will be bloodshed. I'm not so convinced. You know, there was there was a viral video where it was a dad talking about masks and lockdowns and stuff and his kids. And he was like, you are pushing regular people to the limit. And you do not want to see what will happen if you do. And I'm like, this is not, not going to do anything. Like, it's, it's at the time, I'm like, wow, look at these guys. They're mad. Now I'm very much just like, oh, come on. You know, it's, yeah. been, it's been a year. You didn't do anything. Well, it's look, all talk. Look what's happened with this unmentionable disease <laughs> and the reaction to the disease. People haven't done anything. And so I think another, just to throw in another controversial take in there, I think this whole, the whole second amendment thing is overblown and largely a cope. Hmm. I think it, all that matters is the information war. Uh, people can uh, kind of cling to the second amendment to use the controversial Obama phrase. And in some contexts it's useful, like, um, localized anarchy that's definitely useful home defense but in any kind of larger political context it is a cope and you see that which how far people are how far people can be pushed yeah and it really all that matters it's it, what matters is the mind what matters is organizational capacity command of language control of the infrastructure of communication it's all that matters and, are, are and uh, people being and, fed yeah, everything else is everything else is a cope. All right. Brian Knowles says, Tim, I see your argument about China being worse welding doors shut. Still, the U.S. destroyed many Americans' lives, shuttered business stores, arrested churchgoers, mm-hmm. unconstitutional lockdowns, beatings, and solitary for one six. You know, yeah, the U.S. government does a lot of really, really awful bad things. Um, if I say that China is bad because they're doing these things, they're authoritarian and they suck, doesn't mean the U.S. is good. We complain about the U.S. and Joe Biden and, and the federal yeah, government yeah. all the time. So what do you do, man? Jeez. Just right. a bunch of authoritarians around every corner who just want to lie, cheat, and steal, and a bunch of lazy people who let them do it. Bummer. 
KF says, if I was a billionaire, I would use all my money to post memes on billboards on highways all across the country. You don't need to be a billionaire for that. It's actually really cheap. <laughs> People don't realize that billboards don't cost that much money. Yeah, they're not very, uh, they don't give you much of a return on, on expenditure relative to like a, a YouTube banner or something like that. Right. Facebook yeah, like, advertising. No, it's probably more effective if it's so controversial that they have to take it down, but then they do news reports right. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, that's what Ryan Holiday did. Yes. Sort of. You know the story with Ryan Holiday? No. He bought a billboard. He was doing, working on, uh, the Tucker Max guy's, uh, book, I think. Or it was, actually it was a movie, I think. So he bought a billboard. That's a blast from the past. He's, he's, yeah. uh, from my alma mater. <laughs> so he, he buys a billboard. Then he goes and vandalizes it himself. And then the next day calls a radio station saying, Hey, this billboard's been vandalized. What happened? Uh huh. And it became a news story like, Oh, geez, you know, feminists are mad. And then I guess he organized the protests mm-hmm. so that they would protest and come and complain about the movie to generate press for the movie. It's, it's, <laughs> it was brilliant. S. Morrow says Voldemort is evidence the feds are controlling big techs. That's right. We can't say he who must not be named on YouTube even to this day. Otherwise, we will get instabanned. Yep. There is there is a name you can't say. Ooh. Tucker Carlson's grandson says Stuart Rhodes was a frequent guest on the Alex Jones show leading up to 1-6, like weekly. Is Alex Jones an asset of the national security state? I don't know about all that. Huh. Don't think so. question. I don't know. Dev says, hi, Tim. A month ago, you said you were looking for people to hire. I have experience on, of TV production at a cable access station and experience as a video editor and animator. Do you by any chance have any job openings? We have a whole bunch, but um, we're in. It's very difficult. We, you know, we're expanding. I got all these spinning plates. And so we're inundated with all these resumes and we're trying to go through them. But you're, you're always welcome to submit to jobs at TimCast.com. I think we're going to be at like 25 employees in the next week. Or next two weeks. It's a spike. Yeah, we're probably going to be at 50 within a year or, or even six months. Just growing, growing, growing like crazy because the more people sign up, the more budget we have to hire more people. So we just keep going. I love it. I'm not, I'm not going to buy a Ferrari. I'm going to just going to hire people. The more people who sign up, the more shows we do, the more content we produce. That's all it really is. Taking over. All right. Tony420 Tokebowls says, Hey, Tim, I do HVAC, and our supply house told me today that it's going to be 18 weeks until we can get flex duct, which we use all the time. Great reset. Ooh, crazy. Wow. Wow. KM says, Tim, I'm a 16-year-old who is sick of rules. What are three items I should take with me when I leave my parents? Thanks. I'm advanced. I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave. I know I made the point about defying your parents, like with grounding, but my point wasn't to leave your family. My point was that understanding what the consequences are of other people. Let me, let me, let me, let me try and simplify this. When your school is saying things about all these stupid rules and they're trying to make, and, 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 and people say they're making people weak, I say, no, I think the parents are making them weak by not teaching them to stand up for what they believe in, to stand firm. A child shouldn't want to leave their family. The kid should want to go to their parents for support. So, I'll say this. If you really want to leave, you need to talk to your parents because that shouldn't be happening. But I think we got a lot of bad parents. That's just that's just the reality. You can't just send your kids off to a government institution to be educated and think that mm-hmm. they're going to become good people because you're, you're having strangers teach your kids. Christopher says, quit telling kids to disrespect their parents. People like you are the exact reason why quit kids are going to come home and tell their parents they hate them. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying to disrespect their parents. I'm saying ta- a parent telling you you're grounded doesn't do anything. It's literally meaningless is ineffective parenting. In my opinion, you should like, this doesn't make sense. I am. I, I think about it like the kid 
needing to go to the dad and be like, here's the problem I'm having. I need help. And the dad being like, I got you. The kid coming back and saying, I got into trouble. This happened. The dad being like, okay, let's figure it out. Yeah, but when the problem is like, I don't want to do homework or go to class. And they're like, well, you have to. That's not what my dad said. He said, okay, then don't. Yeah, that was a little different for me. They were right. Like, no, you got to exactly conform, bro, or you're going to get in trouble. And exactly. then you're going to become a deadbeat on waste on society, so do what they tell you. Exactly my point. That's not teaching your children strength. They taught me strength in other ways, but man, they made me bad. They, they really impressed the authority upon me. I was like seven years old and I was like, I don't want to go to school. My dad goes, okay, I'll go to school. And I went, what? oh, you lucky. And he was like, don't go. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, yeah don't, go ahead, stay home. And I was like, what are you doing? That's beast. <laughs> like, and he's like, if you don't want to be there. And I was like, oh, and I grabbed my backpack and I walked out the door and went to Stop school. Out. He was like, hey, I told you not to go. Don't look at me. But I couldn't. I was complaining. It was brilliant. I was complaining. But I knew I had to, to do it. And so he was like, okay, fine, don't. What was, See what happens. What like, was whatever. your discipline like growing up? Well, I would say it's entirely reasonable, fairly lax. Did you get grounded a lot? No. No, I was very self-directed, autodidact. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, that was basically what I did. I didn't want to be in school. All right, let's see. Zach Robinson says, Tim, have you seen Dr. Shiva's lawsuit on our government working directly with Twitter to censor people? His lawsuit is one of the few that was seated and not written in crayon. I would love to see you pick his mind on his grassroots movement slash lawsuit. Interesting. That's that's not written in crayon. That's a good one. That's good. I'm glad. A lot of, uh, a lot of these lawsuits are written in crayon, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jay to the to, uh, Jay to the on says, Tim Pool is savage. Assuming they can get to my house, Cox Shotgun, I'm so proud. <laughs> we have a very long path to get to this house. Oh, yeah. We're surrounded by wilderness. Part of that wilderness is owned by apparently some guy who's very much like, get off my property. <laughs> and then there's state property. And then there's a really, really long path regardless of where you're coming from. And we've got security because we're not crazy people. That's right. Yeah, so. No, I don't think they'd make it. All right, let's see. We got... Aaron Freeman says, shout out to Ian for going Persian with the hairy V-neck. I am speechless, oh. like the book from Michael Knowles. I believe you can get hey, that you, book you, on... Uh, number one. Yeah. Hit number one on Amazon. Michael Knowles. Didn't didn't Michael say something that, like, if it made it to number one, it would be because of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get all the credit. did. Legally binding. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll be looking for that, that we'll uh, royalty touch, check. <laughs> we'll be in touch. <laughs> Let's just... We should send a gag invoice to the Daily Wire. Like yeah. a, yes. some obscene number. 60 grand. Yeah, crazy. Crazy residual. <laughs> Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Nicholas Canada says, please have different throw on your show. You need a guy to talk about anarchist ideas. Bro, we have Michael Malice on all the time. Yeah, we have and Luke. Yeah. Luke Rutkowski. When, I read. When Luke Rutkowski's I read uh, a chapter in Michael Malice's book for the for the audiobook. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Prudhomme, I think his name is. Michael Red Malice's Red. book. Yeah. The, it was uh, a collection of anarchist, a- anarchist, anarchist essays. Handbook. handbook. Yep. That's, yeah, that's right. a good one. Yeah. Yep. 404 Droid says, graphene oxide, Ian. You like it? That's what when uh, it? the oxidation of graphene when you have carbon and oxygen. Um, it's, it's it kind of is found in its natural state. You'll find it as graphene oxide. So it's the impure. Yeah, it's like the rusted version. Scary Perry says, "Great show, but one more show without Luke, and I'm gonna puke." No, no. Luke and puke don't rhyme. They don't. Close enough. Luke puke. His name's not Luke. Oh, Luke. Luke. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not puke. <laughs> uh. Elisha, uh, <clears throat> Elisha Z. Del Val says, yo, Tim, have you, 
Have you tried having Peter Schiff on? I feel like the Bitcoin debate between you and him would be fire. Plus, Ian could learn more about the Fed. Um, I believe that's in the works. I just don't know. I think he's a busy guy, but he's a very busy gentleman. Yeah. Sorry, guys, we're working on it though. Yeah, there's a lot of people we're working on. Oh my gosh, so many. just gotta gotta whittle him down. And be like, come on the show. All right, all right. Let's see, what we got here. Dave Laro says, "Tim, YouTube is your parent now. You're always saying I might be in trouble now." Oh, absolutely. You, but but I'll tell you this. Instead of just walking away from YouTube, Facebook, or whatever, I'm like, okay, I'll just use the existing platforms to build my own thing, right? I'll make TimCast.com until we can't. So how about this? Go to TimCast.com, become a member. We're going to have a bonus segment coming up, and we're going to be saying things that we aren't allowed to say on YouTube, which is why Darren had to stop himself short of saying, mm-hmm. I don't have no idea what he was going to say. Ooh. But uh, also, you can smash the like button, subscribe to this channel. You can follow us at Timcast IRL on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow me at Timcast. Did you want to shout out your website or anything else? Yeah, I'll shout out my website, revolver.news. Go to the exclusives. You can read our very detailed reports on possible federal foreknowledge in 1-6, the story that basically shaped the national narrative. So everyone, go to revolver.news, read those stories, and share them. Also, I'm on Twitter at, at Darren J. Beattie. Yeah, you can follow me also at iancrossland.net and at iancrossland on social media. And you guys may follow me on Twitter at Sour Patch Lids as I attempt to have more followers than Sour Patch Kids, and I am getting closer, so thank you all for helping. We will see you all over at TimCast.com. Thanks for hanging out. Bye, guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.